This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. How about that, you guys? Daniil Hunter is back. We'll get to that in just a little bit here. Twins lose again, but Byron Buxton not in the lineup. Quote from Byron Buxton that I thought was pretty interesting as well. I'll get to that in a little bit as well. Claire DeLune, local musician and NBA superfan. LeBron Stan maybe is the best way to describe her was on the show today. Really interesting uh, conversation I had with her. I thought she had some great insights into the NBA, into music, into a lot of different things. So I really enjoyed that conversation, and I hope you do as well. But first, what did I miss? I teased it quickly at the outset. Daniil Hunter with the Vikings. The Vikings find a way to essentially give him the money he wants without giving him new money, restructuring his contract, adding some to his 2021 total Interesting in a couple different ways. First, it avoids what could have been kind of messy, right? If he doesn't show up for minicamp, then it, then it escalates. But but by doing this, they get him into minicamp, and you avoid some drama there. Second, kind of shows another level of commitment to 2021. They've signed so many guys on the defense. A lot of short-term moves for 2021. Feels like a very win-now kind of scenario with this team right now, especially with Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman, you know, potentially needing to prove themselves a little bit this season, you know, kind of a, a move that sets them up to have to make another move on to Neil Hunter in 2022, whether that's to sign him to a long-term expensive extension or work out a trade at that point. But this, this kind of gives them kind of kicks the can down the road on that a little bit. And I'm sure I'll talk to Ben Gessling more about this on Wednesday's show he had some good reporting on that, good perspective. He also reported that uh, that Sheldon Richardson, uh, tw- 2018 member of the Vikings, when they kind of loaded up, went all in, got Kirk Cousins, got some other guys that year. Vikings looking at signing him as well. So, again, that'll probably be another one-year deal, if I had to guess. Really loading up. So, you know, A, there's the, there's the notion of trying to, trying to save jobs this year, right? B, I wonder if any of this has to do with the notion that the Vikings see a, p- a potential weakness across the border. You know, Green Bay in a normal year would certainly be the favorite to win. But if Aaron Rodgers, unlike Daniil Hunter, uh, Aaron Rodgers not at minicamp, if, if Aaron Rodgers continues this and doesn't play for Green Bay this year, whether via trade or via temporary retirement, that division is entirely up for grabs. Regardless, they want they need to upgrade their defense. But if they have a really stout front four, especially with all that they've done there, that would make a big difference. So I wonder if any of this is predicated on what they think might happen in Green Bay. But that part of it's speculation. The part that's not speculation to Neil Hunter back. We'll see for how long. But at least 2021, looks like they're going to have him in the mix. Got him a little bit of extra money, making everybody maybe not happy, but everybody temporarily satisfied, which is uh, at least uh, probably the best they could do at this point. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Really happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Claire DeLune, local, yeah. local LA musician, huge NBA Lakers fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd have some fun talking, talking hoops, talking music. I like to mix things up on the show. We don't always have to go, you know, hardcore. Who are the twins going to trade kind of stuff. Um, sometimes we just like to have conversations. Claire, how are you today? 
I'm good. I'm good. I'm in Minneapolis, but you know, in true post COVID fashion, we are still doing this over Zoom. We are. Even though we're mere miles from each other right now. I mean, I guess we're always technically miles from each other, but usually it's more in like the thousands of miles and now yes. it's in the like single digits. This was logistically, it was just easier. It's harder. To, it's still hard to kind of gather sometimes in indoor spaces. I'm still figuring that out. I think pretty, if, the, if this was like a month or two from now, I think we could have figured this out. But as it is, this works. It's good to see your face even over Zoom. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And so right off the bat, just for people who, you know, aren't fully, uh, fully um, aware, Claire is in a, a group, uh, is Tiny Deaths is her, her musical act, one of the many um, talents, one of the many things she does. <laughs> tell me, um, tell me a little bit more about that and you know, what's, I think you have a music video coming up if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, very delayed music video coming out for a song from, uh, the last EP, which came out, uh, last fall. Um, but yeah, I, so Tiny Dust is like, kind of like my alter ego, like musical project. And it's like, it's my main gig in life is being a musician. Um, and that specifically is my main musical project. So it's kind of dreamy pop music. Um, I, I like to think of it as like two, I have two very different kind of Jekyll and Hyde sides, my personality and my like internet persona slash like basketball takes persona is like very just sort of like wear my heart on my sleeve irreverent. Like, you know, I just, it's just the me side. And then I have this sort of like alter ego that's like dark and mysterious and moody and I get to explore like that side of my personality and I like to keep them pretty separate because they feel literally like two entirely different people <laughs> for better or for worse so um yeah so you might be kind of surprised for what the music sounds like if you discovered me from basketball world but it I think it's I mean I'm obviously biased but I think it's pretty good <laughs> I actually found you first through music so it was just a random night you know I, I tweet a lot about my kids. You know, I have three fairly little kids. I think maybe I had one or two at the time, but I went to a, just a random show at Ice House and you were, you were, Tiny Desk was performing. Oh, cool. And I love Ice House because it's like the shows are late and that's kind of my wheelhouse for, oh gosh. You know, put yeah, the kids story to bed. of my life. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm like, I, I can't believe I played shows there at like one o'clock in the morning as a 31 year old. I'm like, that blows my mind, but sorry, go on. Try being a 44 <laughs> year old with three little kids. No, but that's, that's like a, it's an easier, it's like, it's easier to get out of the house. Right. So I just went, yeah. I was like, this is great. I loved it. So like, I followed you when I got, followed you on Twitter when I got home. I was about to say, I followed you when I got home. Hey, yeah, I followed you home. And I then I also liked your house. I, so I was like, <laughs> I followed you on Twitter when I got home. And then I, noticed, <laughs> then I noticed you had all this other great basketball content. I was like, okay, this is, this is fun. I like this. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, multitudes. multitudes, multitudes, multitudes. And they're, they're two different <laughs> things. Apparently yeah. so it sounds like there's basketball Claire and then there's music, music Claire and they're two different yep. people. Yeah, um, which is you know, hey, that's <laughs> so we all we all operate in our in our own uh, in our own ways. I'm just kidding. Um, so, the music video is you that that's coming out soon. Um, people will enjoy that. Lots of other projects. You should follow Claire on social media. Always, um, it's just Claire Deloon, right, on Twitter and Instagram. It's actually I'm still holding down my Minneapolis roots. It's Claire that's right. MPLS, that's which good. I've thought about changing just because it is confusing now that I've lived in LA for four years, but you know, I might as well just rep, rep for the city. So it's still that it's still that on all social media across everything. It's just Claire MPLS on Instagram, Twitter, everything. 
now were you i you have a lot of lakers content on <laughs> on twitter um were you is that does that predate you moving to LA or is that a, a full on, I, I moved to LA and now I'm a Lakers fan thing. No. And I would like to um, atone just for a minute, uh, if I may, for the Lakers fandom, because I know I'm on a Minnesota based podcast. I know that, you know, this is Timberwolves country and I definitely spent my early days getting interested in basketball. So I guess just real quick, like I didn't grow up being into sports. I was totally that artsy kid who was like, what's a sport? Like, um, like super pretentious. And then I was on tour with Tiny Deaths and my drummer, Jared, uh, is a big basketball fan. Actually, I'm a bigger basketball fan than him now, but at the time he seemed like a big basketball fan to me. He was watching the playoffs in our green room and I was just bored. It was like 2014. And I was like, yeah, I'll watch with you. And I just got completely obsessed, like all encompassingly. This is how I am when I like things. I'm just like all in. So I got totally obsessed with basketball. But so my first foray into basketball was the Timberwolves. Um, I happened to start paying attention at a very good time to pay attention because it was right when they got Jimmy Butler. Okay. Like, yeah. It was like the year before they signed Jimmy Butler that I started like caring about basketball. So that was really good timing. But I wasn't like a lifelong Timberwolves fan or anything because I hadn't been following basketball. So I, by the time I moved to L.A., I had only been paying attention to basketball for maybe like two years or so. Um, and I moved to L.A. at the exact same time. My personal favorite player of all time moved to L.A., LeBron. Yeah. And so also, and also to defend myself on another level, the Lakers and I are both from Minneapolis and both moved to L.A. So That's it just fair. felt – it felt very like storybook, like this just makes sense for me to like have an affinity for this team. But to be totally honest with you, like, and I'm Lakers fans will hate me for this, but like I'm a LeBron stan ultimately at okay. the end of the day. And I will root for LeBron wherever he is. So if he decides to retire on like, I don't know, like the Spurs or something, like I will follow him there and I will make no apologies for that because I really love him. But I will always have a soft spot in my heart for the Lakers because as an, you know, uh, converted Angelino, like it's a very much, you know, I know that it's one of those franchises. It's easy to hate because there's, they have a, a lot of championships. Um, so they, they kind of fall in that like Patriots Yankees, like category of like kind of automatically being the villain just cause they keep winning. But I will say that they're very much like living in LA. It's very much like a working class team. Like it's very much like the team of the people of LA, like People who are like multi-generational Angelinos like love the Lakers and love the Dodgers. And like that's just like their their identity. Um, so I found it an appealing like fan base yeah. from living in L.A. versus the Clippers who are basically people who like, you know, don't only half pay attention and um, just got excited when Kawhi Leonard signed with them. We're so. like seven minutes in. That was the first Clippers reference. I thought we would. <laughs> I didn't think we would. I thought we would. I, I thought it'd be sooner. Um, frankly, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we, and we can't go too deep on the Clippers. They bring it on themselves. What I found, you know, I used to play like a noon pickup game with a bunch of local musicians, and I found that a lot of musicians, if they are sports fans, it tends to either be basketball or baseball. I had Craig Finn on the podcast a few yeah. months ago, and he's a huge Twins fan. You know, hold steady. And but a bunch of other, bunch of other musicians I know happen to be basketball fans. Is there something about that sport you think that why why am I seeing so many? You know, why would that particular sport maybe have some appeal to people who are you know not so not so into other sports or maybe even you know artistically inclined? 
Um, well, I think there's two things going on. Thing number one is it's like the cool sport, to be honest. Like it's the sport with the most cachet. Like, you know, the, the players are also celebrities in a way that I don't think that that's true in other sports. I think part of it is because, because they don't wear any protective gear, which obviously as we've seen over the course of this year, they really should ultimately. It's very (laughs) dangerous, but like you get to see their faces. It's very close up, even like you know, courtside, like that level of access just doesn't exist in other sports. Like you really get to see these athletes on a very human level. And I think because of that, it's a very storyline driven sport. And it's very like, like about, about the people in it. So whether that's like how cool they are and how influential they are in culture or just like these storylines. And I think especially as musicians, like we're storytellers at the end of the day. So we really, I, for me, I got sucked in by like storylines and, and that's part of like what was interesting to me. But I also think you can't, discount the fact that you know contemporary and like rock and roll hip-hop r&b like all of that music is is black music and it was born out of black culture and it's all in the same sort of like cloud of culture black culture with basketball it's like all kind of indelibly connected and if you're making contemporary music in the united states and like present day like you are influenced by black culture and black artists and it's just all kind of part of the same amorphous thing. So I feel like it's it's all very interconnected in a way that I feel like as much as I respect, you know, like hockey as like a skill set is incredible. It's probably the most difficult sport to play, I would imagine, just because you're balancing on ice skates and also doing all the other normal sports things. Um, that just doesn't it doesn't have it doesn't um, belong to a greater culture and a greater like interconnectedness the way that basketball does. Wow, I like that answer. It's it's interesting to think about it that way, especially, you know, I like where you started. I like where, I like the whole answer, but I like the way you started. I didn't really thought about it as being the cool sport, but you're right. It does kind of have that celebrity status to it more than even yeah, football probably has a little bit of that, but you can't see their faces, right? They're they're right. you hardly even know. Like you could some football players who are really good might be like fairly anonymous. Basketball players are not anonymous yeah, no. at all. Your Lakers, however, yeah. um, this year, I, <laughs> as, as someone who didn't follow it as closely, I mean, obviously still here in Minneapolis, know the most about the Timberwolves of any team, even though that season wasn't, uh, was not great, Claire, not gonna, not gonna <laughs> I would lie. say that's an understatement. Michael. Not great. Got better. <laughs> it got better as the year went on, but not great. But Anthony uh, Edwards was definitely the highlight of that yes, season. Yes. And, and that's, that's that gives promising. them some, gives them some hope, but mm-hmm. uh, my, I want, you know, watching the playoffs and I know. Anthony Davis got hurt. I know the series completely pivoted the, the series with um, Phoenix. God, and Phoenix just finished off Denver. So Phoenix is a good team. No, no doubt about that. But I that love series, Phoenix actually, but I yeah. do too. I kind of hope they win it all at this point. Um, they're the most likable. I like the way they play as a team, but the, yeah, that series turned when Davis got hurt. That said, watching them play, not having not watched, you know, a ton of Lakers games, I know LeBron still coming off that ankle. It looked like he wasn't hundred percent there, but these guys looked like they had just met. What, what was yeah. going on with that? So this was not their year. Um, mm. I was very hopeful that they would still make it to the finals because I think that even a not their year, healthy squad with the two best players in the West, arguably on it, I think has a shot, you know, but I think that to me, and this is going to be, if anyone's keeping track at home, this, second time I bring up the Clippers. Yeah. Um, they had Clippers 2019-2020 syndrome a little bit this year, which is I think that they had a little bit of senioritis. I think that they felt 
a little bit entitled, which I find really unattractive and I was not enjoying. Um, in addition to really bad injury luck, of course, like the, the, the two most severe injuries that they had to deal with this year were their two most important players. But uh, I saw a really funny tweet today about how it's like a Chris Paul conspiracy theory that he signed off on that as the head of the Players Association because he knew it would get him to the NBA Finals, which is like galaxy brain, but I love it. Um, but but yeah, so I think that I had a really bad feeling about how the season was going to end from sort of like a few months in because like you like you pointed out, there was just such a lack of chemistry. And I think that that lack of chemistry was a combination of like the guys from last year kind of phoning it in and feeling a little bit entitled. And also the, the most one of the most compelling things about basketball, I think is that like good on paper doesn't mean everything and it's not math. Right. And that's what the Clippers encountered last year is like, it's not like most talented guy plus most talented guy plus a few more really talented guys equals championship. Like there are intangibles. Buy-in is super important. Chemistry is super important. Role players knowing their roles is super important. And that's something I feel like they're really missing this year, especially like the role player element. I feel like they had a lot of guys that were definitely more talented on paper than their roster last year. But all of those guys were there because this team was, you know, a, a very serious championship contender and they wanted to play a big part in that. And I don't think they got as much buy-in from their role players this year in addition to the injury luck, in addition to the sort of like senioritis. And I think that that was the kind of like, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. We'll get to it when we get to it attitude. Like they had that attitude going into the playoffs even. And I think that, you know, that hubris and that sort of like lack of humility is the kiss of death in the NBA because ultimately once you get to the playoffs, everyone's really good and anybody could kind of beat anybody at that point. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I I think that's what I saw in them. Even as as even as someone who doesn't watch them as much, like when you see them, they just looked like there was a disconnect there. By the way, yeah. what did the Clippers ever do to deserve to have senioritis? What did they accomplish that would give right. them senioritis? That was see, and that's where you know I'm, I brought that one up. By the way, so yeah, you can, you can... yeah. So now we're at three. If anyone's keeping track, um, this, I mean that's that's what was so I guess like left such a terrible taste in my mouth about the Clippers last year was like the Lakers. It's like, it's still not an attractive quality, right. In anyone to be like entitled, like that's not, that's not, you don't want that. You want humility no matter what. That being said, if you just came off the title, like literally six weeks ago, when you start a season, it's understandable that you don't feel like you have a chip on your shoulder. You know what I mean? Like that's, you get that the Clippers literally all they had going for them was like, like, NBA gatekeeper talking heads being like, oh, they got this in the bag be yep. based on their roster. That's off-season literally champs. it. Off-season champs, baby. Exactly. Like they won, they, in theory, you know, I, I, I actually, I was on the record as saying I thought the Lakers were going to win from the beginning, even when all my smarter, more educated NBA friends were saying that it was going to be the Clippers. But I digress. Um, yeah, I mean, they had, they had nothing. They had never even made it to the Western Conference Finals. Like they had absolutely no... The only person on that team, and I stand by this to this day, the only person on that team who has any right to feel any kind of way about what they confidence, what they deserve, what they expect is Kawhi Leonard because yeah. he, you know, he had just come off being finals MVP. He had taken a Toronto Raptors team that like while quite talented was like a laughingstock team because they were like doomed to never make it past the Eastern Conference finals. Everyone felt like. And he took them to a championship, you know, on his back. So, like, yeah, he can he can talk into infinity. But ironically, he was like the only person on the Clippers not talking. Yeah, that's true. And talk. 
Paul, Paul George uh, in the in the bubble was, uh, yeah, that was a sight to behold. What, so right off we'll, the backboard, we'll move, baby. We'll move past that <laughs> pandemic. P. We'll move past that. Um, what what else do you like in the playoffs this year? Now that now the Lakers are gone, do you have a do you have a secondary team? Do you pick a second team uh, when they go out? Um, well, first of all, something that I'm really enjoying as someone who is a huge LeBron fan is I've never experienced, well, minus the one year where it was very obvious very early on that they weren't going to make the playoffs, um, the Laker year before Anthony Davis, but I've very rarely experienced this like lack of stress in the playoffs and that yeah. like I really truly have no vested interest at this point because I just want I want LeBron to win as many championships as possible so that more people agree with me that he's the GOAT. That's like my, that's my, you know, vested interest. Um, so that being out of the picture, I'm really, it's like a little bit less, uh, thrilling because I don't really care, but it's so much more chill and fun to just watch as a true spectator and really not give a crap who wins. Um, so I've been enjoying that freedom, that emotional yeah. freedom from the prison that I built myself. Um, <laughs> but I also, I, I really like the Suns and the Suns. Um, and this is going to sound like such a Laker fan take to like, let's make it about me and my team. But like, <laughs> they really remind me of the Lakers last year in that it feels like it's just sort of clicking in every way it needs to click. Like everybody's buying into the system. All the role players are excelling at their roles and they're not trying to be more than what they are, but they're do, but they're, you know, all of a sudden Jay Carter remembered how to shoot threes again. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's just sort of that happened to the Lakers last year too. Like that little bit of like je ne sais quoi magic where everything's just sort of clicking and also, it seems like they're having so much fun and really enjoying each other. And to me, that was what I, that was my point of view as to why the Lakers won the chip last year. And it sounds maybe really simplistic, but like, if you're like having really, a sh really great time out there with each other and you really are playing for each other and, and playing as a team and like enjoying that on a genuine level, that is like kind of the X factor that not all of the teams have in the playoffs. And I think that. Everybody has a certain level of talent to get to that point, especially to get past the first round. But once you're past the first round, everyone's really good. And so it is those sort of X factors and that je ne sais quoi that like will get you to the promised land because everyone has sort of everything else really at that point. Um, or LeBron, you know, or also both. That. Or one both. of those two. You gotta have one <laughs> of those two things. Um, but I really like Phoenix as far as the East. It's interesting now that Kyrie got injured and I would never like I would rather them be healthy and just be boring and them dominate than someone get injured because I just don't think like as you never root for injuries. Yeah. Yeah. On a human level, it's just like a, such a bummer. But that being said, it really does change the landscape of the East now. I really felt like the East was I felt like the championship was sort of a foregone conclusion. Uh, I really didn't feel like anyone left was built to even hold a candle to even just Kyrie and KD in that team. Uh, now that they don't have James Harden or Kyrie for like the foreseeable future, I feel like it is a little bit more of like an anyone's game kind of situation. And in that case, I really don't know, honestly, like of who's left. I mean, I guess probably, probably the Bucks are the most likely to, cause if they get past the Nets in this round, I mean, I feel like I like the Bucks chances against Atlanta or Philly. Yeah. But in that case, that changes everything for me because I really felt sort of like it's going to be the Nets out of the East and it's going to be the Nets against whoever's left in the West. Like, that's how I felt about it. Now, I feel like if Phoenix can get out of the West, 
and the Nets don't get healthy in time for the finals, I kind of like their chances, honestly, against yeah. who's left, which is kind of amazing. Like, I really didn't think I'd live to see Phoenix win a championship. So I, I don't know. I don't. And I think Phoenix will probably be Phoenix in Utah in the next round. Yeah, that and seems I, likely. I, and I kind of like Phoenix's chances against Utah, too. Like, I really do. Yeah. So I, like I don't that's, know. I like that. I like the potential for that series. I'd love to see Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker just kind of doing their thing. You'd have that really would be good, amazing. You'd have a really yeah. good backcourt thing. And the thing that I respected about Phoenix, too, is it felt like down the stretch, everybody was doing everything in their power to avoid the Lakers. They were trying to, like, yeah, finesse, and they were like, screw that. They were trying to finesse the system. And then, like, I saw Chris Paul do an interview after they, like, won a close game. I think it was against Portland. I can't remember who it was exactly, but there was a close game at the end of the regular season where they, they interviewed Chris Paul and they were like, you know, this win probably means you're going to, you know, might face the Lakers. He's like, you know what? I've been in the West long enough. You got to play who you got to play. We'll, we'll take them as they come. So it's just like they were not running from it while the no. Clippers were like trying to lose to Oklahoma City and all and these Denver. terrible teams at the end. They were like trying to avoid them. The Denver wanted no part of it. So it was like, Phoenix ends up doing it. And then, you know, obviously the Davis injury changes everything, but you know, maybe there's a little, just a little, you know, co- the cosmic retri- nature of yeah, things. Yeah. Karmic they- retribution. Yes. For sure. I heard a really, um, one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard by an NBA coach was a Monty Williams quote about that. They asked him about the Lakers and about, okay, well, you know, do you feel like this is sort of like pennant, like weird punishment for getting, for doing so well in the regular season, you get the two seed. And then in the first round, you have to face the defending champs. And Monty said, like, I told the guys, like, everything you want is on the other side of hard. And right mm. now this is our heart. And I just, I mean, Monty's amazing. Like, what a, yeah. what a like, Disney Channel coach. How did, like, how did he not win coach of the year, by the way? Tibbs was great with the Knicks. And I know they did a turnaround, but he won, like, 52 games this year. What more has he got to do? Because it's the Knicks. I mean, like, yeah. the Knicks are... He's coast bias. Like, I mean, I think it's more so just, like, for the, the fact that the Knicks not only made the playoffs, but had home court advantage. Like in you, the East. it's in I the East though. It's I know, but East. I don't know a single person that saw that coming. Like yeah. I don't know any, no one I know in NBA world even really thought the Knicks were going to make the playoffs this year. And not only did they make the playoffs, but they were a four seed. They were a four seed with probably like the lowest level of talent Yeah, in the East, like objective. So it's like kind of, truly was Tibbs that got them to the playoffs. I, I guess it just bothers me when someone like wins 10 more games. They didn't, then Phoenix didn't make the playoffs last year. I know they added Chris Paul. I know they were eight known the bubble, but it, that bothered me anyway. Go on. I think it was the Chris Paul thing though. Ultimately, like, like if you hold the Knicks and the, and the Suns up side by side and you look at what changed for them in the off season, like it is, it's not arguable that Chris Paul is like in the conversation. I mean, I saw a take that he's like the, like, Oh, is he the greatest point guard? Like, no, we're not, no one's saying that, but he's, he's among the greatest point guards of all time. He's a first ballot hall of famer. He has shown that he elevates the, the ceiling and the floor of whatever team he goes to. He showed that in Oklahoma city last year, a team that had been planning to tank and then ended up in the playoffs. Right. So like Chris Paul, it's impossible. It doesn't like the coaching situation with Monty Williams doesn't exist in a vacuum away from the fact that they got basically a coach on the floor and Chris Paul and I still do think Monty is ultimately the coach of the year, especially if they make it to the finals and especially, especially if they win the championship. But like, if the, there's no Chris Paul in the Knicks, like it's really just a bunch of dudes who are getting their second chance, a bunch of like rookies and young guys, and then Thibodeau, you know? Yeah. So like, I mean, I think he, they both deserved it in different yeah. ways, but like, I, that's why I feel like it's kind of weird. I know they're regular season awards, 
but it's not a regular season sport. Like the whole sport is revolved around the postseason. So I do think it's really weird that we give these awards out based exclusively on regular season performance. Yeah. Um, I know that it's, it behooves the league to do that because it makes, it makes the regular season have a weight that it wouldn't otherwise. But like, it's weird that we give the MVP to someone who, who sometimes gets eliminated in like the first round of the playoffs. Like that's super weird to me. Yeah. or he, sometimes yeah, he gets know. ejected too in the closeout game, like it happened last night. <laughs> I respect that. I love yeah. that he got ejected because he was just like, "I'm going out guns a blazing." Like, <laughs> I love that for him. Yeah, because he's oh. so chill. Like it's cool to he see is. him mad. That is kind of cool. You're you right. Know? Oh well, we're running low on time. I want to respect your time too. I thought we were going to talk more music, but you had too many good NBA takes. Like really, like <laughs> no, like honestly, like really good thought provoking takes anything music wise that we should know about before we run here um i am a musician no we and... covered that i mean we covered the <laughs> basics early on but i mean it's good to know that i don't just talk about basketball because if you do decide to follow me on twitter at claire mpls should you be so inclined you probably will see almost nothing about music because i talk about basketball all the time um but so I, it's good to remind people sometimes that that is my my job and I love it, and I encourage you to check out that other Jekyll and Hyde side of my personality. Awesome. I enjoyed this conversation a lot. Maybe yeah. we can do this again down the road. Enjoy the rest of your time in the, in the Twin Cities before you fly back to L.A. and start plotting who the Lakers will get this offseason. Luca, maybe Luca and down the road, huh? Not this year, but maybe a couple years. Okay. Fingers and toes crossed. You gotta keep, you gotta he deserves keep... the bright lights, Michael. He deserves he does. that. Play chess, not checkers. Got yeah, to exactly. be thinking three or four moves down the road. Claire, great to talk to you. Take care. Thank all right? you. You too. Really enjoyed that conversation with Claire. A lot of great insights. Um, not that I'm surprised. She's really good on Twitter, things of that nature. Um, and one thing I want to make clear, too, is I'm, I'm not surprised that musicians are fans of sports or things like that. You can have hobbies outside of your job. You can have more than one interest. I just thought it was a, it's interesting that I've always noticed over the years that they tend to gravitate toward the NBA, and I really liked her answer on that question. Let's end quick with the cooler. Byron Buxton back with the Twins, but not in the lineup when the Twins lose 4-3 to Seattle. Twins had a, a 3-1 lead, but that evaporated. Give up uh, some you know, late run to, to, to lose that game. 26-40 is the record now. Not, uh, not good, but the Byron Buxton quote was interesting to me. He, he's on the trip. He hasn't played in more than a month, but he wasn't in the lineup still, uh, even as he kind of battles that hip soreness. And here's the quote from Byron Buxton that I want to play for you. He's talking about trying to get himself back in the lineup. He said, I can't wait. That's how my swing is right now. Um, I'm going to have to keep nagging at Rocco Baldelli until he puts me in the lineup. Uh, He was asked, does that work? Not really. It's not as easy as you think, especially about injuries. He knows players pretty well. He knows if I come out here at less than 100%, something could possibly go wrong. Again, that's, that's, that's fine. I think that's, you know, by and large, that's a good way to do things, but also feels like that's the way the twins have handled injuries all year. They're, they're, trying to guard against the worst possible thing happening. And in the meantime, they're not paying attention to the worst possible things that are happening. You know, sometimes you just kind of got to let it go. You got to play, you got to play through it a little bit. Um, You can't, you can't guard against those bad things happening necessarily. You got to guard against the bigger bad things happening. And that's what the twins have not done at all this season. And part of it is because they've let guys be out too long. That'll do it for me today. Thanks so much for joining me. Like I said, Ben Gessling expected to be on Wednesday's show for a full Vikings breakdown. Maybe a little Where's the Money, Brzezinski. That'd be a good time for that. 
Hope you enjoyed it today. Talk to you again on Wednesday.